Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. Tonight's guest is Nick Ryder of the band Adapter Adapter. What you're currently listening to is the first track off their latest release, which is a two-song EP, uh, simply entitled uh, Give Up the Ghost and uh, Hex XX. It's available on Bandcamp uh, for streaming or for download. Um, I didn't know Nick until I met him to do this episode, um, but I had researched his band, like I got, uh, I found them online, and I listened to a lot of his music, and it's it's great. With the, they are uh, genuinely creating some like pretty cool and authentic, uh, psyched out garage rock, uh, garage blues rock. Um, Nick is very talented. He's very knowledgeable in, uh, in all in a number of different realms of music. So it was a pretty interesting conversation that we had. Uh, I was trying a couple of different things tonight, so bear with me. That's a trying to do a whole different type of format for the show, actually. And uh, so Nick's going to be my like a premier guest for for the new format. Um, try to make them a little shorter. Uh, the video has no introduction; just kind of gets right into the right into the show, right into the interview. Um, I chopped it up a lot video-wise. Uh, even this audio stream is going to be a little choppier than normal. Um, I actually went on location to his place, to his uh, to his home and uh, studio, S slash studio, home slash studio, I guess I can say. And it was really cool up in uh, Norton, Mass. And uh, so I tried to incorporate some of the element of the on-scene uh, video I was taking uh, of he and I kind of like walking the premises, like uh, walking, walking the, the uh, compound that it is that, he, that they live on. So um, it's a really kind of cool place and um, try to kind of grasp, grasp some of that, um, some of that feel of like kind of where he was coming from exactly. So uh, tune into the video, please go check it out on YouTube. Um, and yeah, enjoy this episode. Uh, please, folks, do the things that you do with the internet. If uh, you can send us some likes on uh, Instagram and the Facebook, I'd appreciate it. Um, subscribe to the audio stream and the video stream. Do the commenting, the liking, the sharing, all those things. Enjoy. And thanks. You're an amplifier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're only going to ruin your own amplifier. I don't want you to do that either. So. Hey, hey, hey. Well, I guess my room is clean ish, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, you're. I have a floor that's visible. You have all your music, you know, stacked up. That's probably the thing that would ruin it the most. Like, the thing that would make the biggest mess, you know? It's well, good to have organization with your music. I don't own any, like. Of everything I own, my music takes up the most space. Like, more than my gear is my CDs and my records, and where do I put them all? Because I don't use drawers. Oh, that's not even clothes in there. Cool. But, like, that drawer doesn't have clothes in it. It only has DVDs and movies. (laughs) That's all the clothes I own right there. It's up there on the shelf. (laughs) Hey, man, whatever works. That's cool. You got a lot of music. That's I didn't realize that you had some in storage here in hiding. And, like, those are all box sets up there. Yeah, I see. I used to have more of a system 
that, and now, as I have so many, I have a system that only really makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, that's usually where it tends to go, yeah. you know? I'm it's only like, getting to that place where I'm finally, like, losing something here and there. And, like, wow, oh. you lost something that... It's there. <laughs> you got to find it. Did you catalog anything at, every, at any point? Uh, not really, because it <laughs> takes so long. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, when you have this many... Like, I haven't even done a count in a long time. I think the last time I did a count was, like, a decade ago when I had, like, 2,000-something. Oh. So with what I've sold and bought... I probably have some, like, I probably have closer to 4,000, like, hmm. all together. It this doesn't always just... look like it, but it's weird how they, uh, how they, how packed in they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, well, hey, I'm not going to say anything about the CDs, about as far as, like, you know, being a vinyl show. Uh, <laughs> you have good, you have good vinyl, you I know? know. I definitely don't have as many. Yeah. But, uh, I was always more selective and, uh. I remember like a decade ago when vinyl was kind of coming back, there were bands I listened to, like Sun, who I showed you, or like mm-hmm. Nunslaughter in particular, uh, who were doing a lot of vinyl-only releases. And since I bought physical media, I was getting like, kind of, uh, well, that's a bummer. Like, I want to get that release. I remember right. like Discharge, one of my favorite bands, did a split 7-inch with MG15, and I couldn't get it because there was no CD. Yeah. And I remember when I finally bought my first record player, I like had my list pretty much of like these are I'm buying this because these are all the records I can't get on CD. Uh-huh. And I started with those and huh. for a while I kind of kept it to that because a lot of labels are still like that where certain releases are kind of catered to a specific format and not everything comes out on multiple formats. Or right. It might, but yeah. I'm just noticed like uh i think it's kind of a trend with record labels right to like you kind of limit things yeah because I've, I've noticed tape is coming back too and there are tape only labels again and i'm like that's a shock to me yeah i don't crazy. even have a tape player with all the stuff i have I'm like yeah i no. got rid of my tapes huh. <laughs> well yeah i i wouldn't suggest it at this point only because you'd just be building to the collection which i mean that's yeah, not horrible i guess but uh do you have a tape player not currently. Like, yeah. um, for a while I did have a bunch of weird tapes and, like, stuff that I couldn't get otherwise, but it's not my favorite thing to listen to. Hmm. Just, I mean, I do think they look really cool, and I liked them when I was a kid, because that's kind of what was around. But yeah. uh, I do think that there are some reasons that some formats go away on a bigger, like, scale and some right. kind of stay tried and true. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. Tapes kind of replaced vinyl, but I don't think they replaced vinyl at all. And vinyl kind of stuck around after tapes went away. Right. So I kind of think that says about the quality of, like, vinyl as a format. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I do like some tape. Um, I like the... Uh I like the uh, avail- like accessibility of cassette tapes because you know those are plentiful in cars and stuff like that, uh, and I've never had a really good eight track player. Like <laughs> I have either. one now, and I'm like every time I put a tape in, I'm just like it might eat this, you know, and <laughs> so I'm just like well I might not try. hear it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have stopped trying basically. I so, had a buddy who had a reel to reel player, and he oh, had yeah. like ZZ Top's Trace Ombres on reel to reel. Yeah, and I was like I'd never even seen anything like that. I was like, yeah. who bought these? I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, I actually have a real trail player too. Um, wow. And that's cool too. I mean, 
I think that that quality is good. Um, it's, it's like, it's just, they're all a little different, you know? And it's like, and it depends on your, on the quality of your stuff. Cause like my tape player sucked and like <laughs> it started to die actually like the, uh, the gears in it. So it was slowing down. So just slowly by little, little by little, I was like losing the, the, the actual speed of the tape and it was sounded distorted. sounded weird, you know? Well, I think that's kind of my problem with tapes versus like CDs or even like records will if you're careful the way I am or how people should handle like a CD like I have CDs the oldest things I own are CDs because I took care of them and like a lot of my record like if I bought a record new it probably doesn't have too many scratches on it but like tapes are kind of like how many times are you going to listen to it because at a certain point it's just not going to sound like it did anymore yeah and you're just kind of going to have something that doesn't really work right like the way it did not that vinyl doesn't get worn out but yeah i mean for instance we're gonna play a record from the 60s and yeah i didn't own it for a lo- like most of its lifetime <laughs> but somebody took decent enough care of it <laughs> yeah well you know what i also wanted to make sure that we talked about your band because uh we oh, haven't yeah, said I'm in a band we haven't said peep about adapter adapter yet <laughs> So, um, and well, by the way, that you're about someone else's music. Yeah, no, and and yours, because uh, I really, I really like what you what you have. Because uh, we actually just met through through Instagram. I, I found your page, and I listened to your music, and I was just like, wow, these guys are awesome. Um, well, thanks. Would you would you say would you say that it's fair to or is it fair to say that you guys are a like psycho garage rock band? Well, is that I, see, that's like a, a kind of a new one. Okay. And I and I, I like it because uh, honestly, a lot of people say a lot of different things, and I yeah, was like kind what? of uh, shocked. Well, because like I always thought we were just a blues rock band, and yeah. like that was kind of like I would just say, yeah, we're like blues rock, and people would often say that I undersold myself or what I did, hmm. and I have heard like a lot of people call us blues metal or punk blues mm-hmm. i had a drummer who's uh one of his relatives came and he said to me after we played oh you know i never heard a, a punk band that had a harmonica and i was like cool but it is kind of funny like some people and i know some blues fans can be kind of elitist and honestly like true blues fans i noticed are almost the only people we've played with who really didn't kind of dig us oh yeah the only times i've had seen people or had people genuinely heckle or put fingers in their ears was at blues shows yeah and i was kind of shocked because like i wanted to be a blues singer yeah but i kind of like that psycho garage rock we actually our newest single got licensed to a garage rock label in turkey recently and they kind of specialize in stuff that's really wacky and aggressive i noticed but mm-hmm. uh it was called i hope i say it right it was kadafan contact records from istanbul turkey and okay. i asked him what is what does your label name mean and he goes oh it kind of roughly translates to like crazy or nuts or stuff like that and oh. those are the bands i try to get so it was kind of like well okay. so you're in good company you know that's kind of fun <laughs> Get on this rocket, baby We'll find out if there's love in space Blasting through the 
I'd like to be in that company every now and then. Well, I just thought it was like, well, if a couple of people in Europe can get into us, like, why not? And yeah. again, it was kind of like, well, it was interesting someone from so far away kind of got a hold of us somehow and kind of, again, kind of thought we were part of this crazy garage rock thing. Yeah. But I don't know. I've just kind of noticed a lot of people kind of do have their own, uh, like, a, I don't know, like, people have so much access to information these days that it, uh, but they also kind of still have a way to, everybody hears things differently. And people do kind of like, well, people say this is this, but I kind of think it sounds like this. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Like, I've always, like, I've never, I know I was a little more of an elitist when I was a kid because I came from metal and you'd be like, oh, it's, it's not death black metal, it's black death metal, you idiot. But I'm not really like that now. And I yeah. kind of like, I don't know, I remember hearing, it was weird to hear a guy talk about music who, he said, oh, I don't know if you've heard of, uh, I really like a band called Fish. And it's like, Fish is a huge band. So yeah. it's kind of like, I, was, I knew he just kind of like, it was funny to hear somebody talk about Fish as if like you hadn't heard of them. And I just thought it was like, yeah. And he was like, you know, uh, they, uh, a lot of people say they're like a jam band, but uh, yeah. I kind of think they're just rock. And I That's was like, cool. I kind of thought it was cool because it was like, <laughs> wow, like this guy clearly doesn't hang out with Fish Heads. He just likes this music. Yeah. And it's not like about some extended jam to him or like, like it was just kind of interesting that he hmm. was, I don't know. Everybody hears it a little different. Yeah. But I would never be like, oh, you like fish? It's rock. It's just rock. It's rock. <laughs> yeah, 24-7 is just rock. Yeah, fish. To speak to your uh, comment earlier about the, the playing with blues and you feeling like that was where you were the least accepted, uh, blues is kind of like a purist type genre. Uh, yeah. For the most part. I mean, there's a lot of strong, you know, blues guys that are just like, if, if there's there's a right, there's a right way to do it. Like, you can't do it another it's way. It's true. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that the guys we play with who are in bands, though, have always been cool to me. It's just kind yeah. of the fans sometimes. Hey, and just, not a lot of them, but I think that's kind of why we appeal to punks and metalheads, because we have yeah. that aggression and, mm -hmm. like, the kind of bit of darkness in the image, but we've always gone down really well at, like, bars or clubs with kind of, like, an older crowd who are used to classic rock. Right. Because they're used to hearing blues riffs that are heavy. True. And we used to play a lot of canned heat. And, like, I did covers of songs I liked that I didn't think people even knew about. And yeah. it was usually, like, the ed the more educated fans who would know. But, like, at the same time, like, you if we played, like, a T-Rex song... And we do it really heavy, but like you know, the older ladies would get make their husbands get up and dance with them because it's like they hadn't heard that song in a while. Yeah, right. And they weren't scared off by us for yeah. having crosses in our logo or singing about this and that. Right. So it's like I don't know. We do kind of have a strange niche, I guess. That's and good. Nobody thinks we're gonna sound like what we do based on how we look, and vice versa. I think. Right. I don't know. So um, let me. Uh let me just say that this is really cool. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get that on camera or not, but uh, <laughs> this is one of your releases. This is not your latest release, right? No. That was a, a double A-side single we did in 2017. But uh, I'm still really proud of it, and it's still one of my favorite 
releases we've done on the whole, and I yeah. really like both songs that are on it still. Yeah, no, I listen to them, and they're they're great songs, and that's kind of why I, I was starting off saying, uh, would you consider it safe to say that your music is like a, you know, uh, psycho garage rock? Because that's kind of what this record is. It's just an EP. I think um, that record was where we uh, we've really tried to almost take it over the top as far as like the energy was concerned and we yeah. kind of stripped down the arrangements at the same time it was my first time playing with Greg Valade on drums who I had on that recording and we kind of uh, we stripped the music back to this really raw like almost the rawest stuff I think I'd ever made and the most aggressive but hmm. we kind of doubled I think the energy we had cause like I still say Rocket Blasters want to almost like I mean, my music isn't that complicated. It's mm-hmm. kind of more about the energy that I put forth. But yeah. Rocket Blaster is like, it's like a song you need like a headband and like gym bands to play because it's like, <laughs> there's a bit of athleticism. Yeah. And there's very little space to breathe with how much harmonica and just yeah. the speed of it. It's pretty intricate work for well, uh, for a fast-placed bluesy song like that. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, it took a long time to work up. And um, actually, um, the drummer I have now, we only just to kind of started practicing it the last couple of weeks because it was like I wanted to get it back in the set hmm. and it is one of those things where like rather than practice our set at the last couple of practices we just practiced that song like we dedicated a couple whole practices to it wow because it's like there's a lot of little things in there that, that must have been tiring it's all just right and every little hit is just right it, it has that energy mm-hmm. so I think at the next show we're definitely going to have to break it back out cool that's be great. Do you know when that is your next show, or? Well, we have a show this Friday, but um, it's actually a tribute show to the Rolling Stones, and all the proceeds are going to benefit the Amos House, and it's like a bunch of local Providence bands all doing Rolling Stones covers. Oh, okay. And I think maybe we get to do some original stuff. Yeah. But uh, it's. The funny thing is, is I didn't actually have to learn any new songs for it. Like, the songs we're going to do is stuff from our normal set. <laughs> so it was kind of like, well, um, can we... <laughs> I was like, can we do blues songs that the Stones were known for doing or made famous? Oh. And they were like, yeah. And I oh. was like, okay, we don't have to learn any new songs. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, cool. We're going to play our normal set. <laughs> yeah. So wait, so when's that happening now, you said? That's actually this Friday at dusk. And uh, there's a lot of good bands on it, like uh, Queen Anne's Revenge is on it, who are a really cool rock band and good friends of mine. And it's just going to be a lot of like good local bands all playing renditions of Stones stuff tunes. by the Stones. And so yeah. it's like, what really isn't to like? That's I think gonna... the stuff we play is probably going to be like the least of what people want to hear. <laughs> Right. Well, uh, so I feel that I feel like that's been happening a lot lately. They had the Nirvana cover song. They had oh, the yeah. local bands covered song. No, it's true. I uh, I've been getting asked to do it more and more, and it's kind of like when I do get involved, I try to be the, uh, the odd man out, like because I I kind of like doing the opposite of what everyone else is gonna try to do. I'm right. just kind of like have that tendency to be like that, but even like. The Misfits are my favorite band, like, of all time. And I did, like, a... They asked me, do you want to do the Halloween Misfits show at the News Cafe? And they were like, you know everything about the Misfits. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. 
And it sounded like a lot of fun. And they were like, well, let us know what songs you want to pick because we don't want to have overlap. And I was like, I'm not going to pick any songs. Like, I'm going to let everybody else pick all their songs and then make sure none of the stuff I play was anything anybody was even going to think about. And then when I did have my songs, I played them all as slow blues with clean guitar, really quiet, and did like a whole set of misfit songs like as a real blues singer. Hmm. And I don't know if anybody's ever done that, but it was kind of like an idea like, well, people want Misfits covers and they want them to sound like the Misfits and it's my favorite band. So I think to me, it's like, I'm going to play the Misfits like it was a blues guy, like one guy and how he would have played those songs like on the Delta. That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah, I can see it. It was a lot of fun. And people just kind of looked at me like, okay because it was i don't think anybody expected somebody to open the mystery show with all clean guitar like right. blues. yeah <laughs> that's cool though i admire that i mean you know to, to have the balls to even do that because it's just like Thanks. that's a really kind of strange concept i i'm the king of strange concepts huh. cool, <laughs> so uh what brought you to that point like where where did you start listening to music or playing music or both well um I've always, like, music's just always been my thing since I was a little kid. Like, I just was always, I loved being in the car and listening to the radio and just, yeah. like... Yeah, what would you listen to? Well, my mom was, um, she's, like, a product of the, this well, a child of the 60s, so, like, classic rock. And when I was a kid, it was all her favorite bands, like Zeppelin and Moody Blues. But and she was, like, like, a rock listener, yeah. which is cool. And it was funny because she didn't really like the blues that much, even though she listened to, like, bluesy stuff, But it was kind of nice because when I started getting into the 60s culture and music myself, I kind of had somebody who was there that could kind of like, well, this is kind of what it was really like. Or like, it's kind of nice to be able to like, hey, I got this album. Like, do you remember this band? And she'd be like, how are you listening to this? Like, But it's kind of like she had good enough taste and my brothers were into metal. I just always liked having something on. And I mostly liked metal and hard aggressive music for a very long time mm-hmm. and i kind of got bit by the blues all of a sudden like uh about a decade ago it's funny because now i notice i've been listen i've been back listening to the first blues artist that kind of got me into it because mm-hmm. it's like well i've finally been in it long enough that i can kind of i think i'm back where i started right. <laughs> yeah yeah or, or at least like be the, able to uh, appreciate that stuff more now and I think I know a little bit about it because I didn't know the first thing about the blues. Oh, yeah. It was really weird. Like, well, I don't uh, think you lived long enough to really appreciate it, right? No. That's I, mean, I mean, and I always had an ear for stuff that was older anyway. Like, even when I was in school, the punk and the metal I listened to was older. But, I mean, I was in kind of like a death metal band and I played death metal and listened to 100% aggressive music for so long. And I literally just had a friend go, you need to chill out. Like, you need to buy something different. Like, and he, he said, like, buy an album by the Black Keys or something. And I didn't even know who they were. Uh-huh. But I went and bought Rubber Factory. Like, because I bought so many CDs, I was like, I'll buy a CD by anyone. <laughs> and it was like, I went and bought it, and knowing nothing about it, and it being nothing like anything I listened to, I was kind of like, whoa. Mm-hmm. This is, in-. I was literally like kind of taken aback by it. And I went back to the record store the next day and the day after and would buy anything that had the Fat Possum Records logo on it. Oh. So it was kind of like, like I didn't know a lot about the blues and I didn't know if the Black Keys was a blues band or not. But it was weird because by the end of the first week of having two of their albums, I was telling people, 
I'm going to quit playing death metal and form a blues duo. And everybody thought that was really weird. But that's what I did. Like, it took me years, but like right. it was like, I'm going to be like these guys someday. It's going to be me yeah. and a drummer, and we're going to play blues. And it was like, you don't play anything like that. And it right. was like, well, it's going to take some time. But <laughs> I was, I, I like, I don't know. And a lot of people give me grief about, like, you got into the blues with the Black Keys. That's so, like, Bush League. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, well... It's the band that did it for me, and not even just them, them being on Fat Possum Records, and also that, like, one of the, I, I mean, I went back and bought anything I could find with their logo on it, and right. one of the, the albums was Cullahoma by the Black Keys, which was an entire album of covers just by Junior Kimbrough. They did a whole album of covers of their most, of their biggest influence, Yeah, who was Junior Kimbrough, a guitar player from... The Mississippi Hill Country, not like the Delta, but like not knowing anything about the blues, I was like, well, if the Black Keys like Junior, then I'm going to like Junior. Probably, And I kind of went to that Hill Country style more than the Delta style because a lot of the Hill Country guys were on Fat Possum, and it was different than 12-bar blues. Most of the Hill Country guys do this really heavy, dark, droning, riffy style that was like to me was as heavy as metal and i think that's why i liked it so much yeah but i don't know that's kind of where i started and lately i've been kind of picking up fat possum albums that i skipped the first time around oh really and i'm like it's kind of been that whole cycle yeah which is weird like life just kind of happens that (laughs) way (laughs) so is that all mostly blues stuff like the blues rock genre um they mostly focused on like their what their version of they thought yeah. the uh, blues rock genre was, but they did a lot of other stuff like yeah, I thought they so, even but... did releases by like Iggy and the Stooges, oh, and okay. Andrew Bird, Andrew people Bird, outside of with, yeah. their comfort zone, but like it was a big enough indie label to be well respected, and they're still around. Yeah, I mean, like I'm a very record label centric person. Like I tend to find labels I like to support, and then find the bands I like f- from that, as opposed yeah. to like. Looking up artists, I right. kind of, like, find labels and then that see what artists they have. Because yeah. you can, like, I don't know, you can get a sense of, I don't know, a lot of record labels have a lot of personality. And oh, yeah. Fat Possum was definitely one of those for me. Yeah, I think any, I think any uh, respectable label has a genre that they really kind of cater to. Yeah, I mean, or if at you... least, like, a niche. Yeah. Like, if it's dark like everything dark and heavy it doesn't necessarily have to be metal but if right. it's like but if you're putting out records outside of that genre that are kind of dark and heavy that could those people might buy that like right. i don't know the record label we were on was called ukulele horror records and it was really bizarre because like i said we'd only been a band for a matter of weeks right. and we had like just recorded it I, I didn't have any band members and I asked somebody to fill in on some recordings to have a product to showcase to get band members mm-hmm. and we got a deal based on that demo which became the EP but it was odd because like again I, I was trying to make what I thought was a blues record but it still came out pretty heavy and yeah. dark and I mean it was called ukulele like they had horror in the record label name and it was a guy who mostly focused on horror themed releases yeah and we weren't really like a horror band or a psycho billy band or like that kind of punk band but 
we were on a record label like that. Right. And I think it's just because we had, like... The image. Our, li- our album's kind of like, if you didn't see the harmonica on it, yeah. on, like, all of them, it would almost kind of like... I mean, I guess they look like metal albums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool, though. So, uh, now, where would you say that you found this record that you uh, chose for tonight? Oh, um, well... There's a you know there's a couple of things I wanted to mention t- about it but um again just being super into like the 60s and whatnot and being really into movie soundtracks and also like part of what appealed to me about 60s music when I really got into it was the heaviness and the punkiness of it and being really into punk and metal I wasn't aware that those terms were around back then mm-hmm. and that there were bands in the 60s that were called punk rock or that were playing heavy yeah. metal and Ryan on Sunset Strip was kind of a, a pot boiler movie to cash in on a trend. Can I? Like, there were actual riots on Sunset Strip because of the new, like, psychedelic music. And uh, right. what's crazy is Peter Fonda, who died yesterday, R.I.P., I'm a huge fan. He yeah. actually got arrested in the Sunset Strip riots. I read so about that, it's funny that, that we're yeah. talking about this record today because... He died yesterday, and I'm wearing my Easy Rider shirt. Yeah, I know, I saw. And I actually, <laughs> I switched our our logo on Facebook and Instagram back to our Peter Fonda adapter adapter logo oh. in his honor. Right. Like, he's had a huge influence on me. Not just his movies, but like the music in his movies has influenced my band and like the image I wanted. Yeah. So it was like I definitely got to talk about it now. I mean, Peter Fonda got arrested in the real Sunset Strip. Yeah, which actually it came out. Uh, I did a little bit of research on the movie. This came out like four months after or seven months after the riots occurred yeah. on the Sunset Strip. So it was like kind of a pretty speedy production, well, just to like throw the story like together. A, definitely. I mean, it was a, a cash grab, like a total like cashing in on a fad, which right. was a lot of, uh, I mean, the exploitative nature of 60s culture was kind of like that. Everything was fast, 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 mm. fast turnaround, and um, which is weird because they put out such great stuff, but like, I mean, that was a movie that was, yeah, it was thrown together to cash in on a headline. Right. Like, this is what is in people's minds, right. and they associate it with LSD and rebellious music, so we're going to have a whole movie about kids taking acid and rioting <laughs> at, at rock clubs. Right. And, like, that's pretty punk rock. And it's, like, yeah. the Standells who did Dirty Water, like, their 60s proto-punk band are in it as themselves. And you have the Chocolate Wash Band who are, like, I think one of the best American bands, like, are in it. And, like, it has that weird, uh, I guess the appeal of the movie these days, like, why it kind of held up beyond being, like, a fad was that it caters to people who like rock movies because it's a movie like almost about great music by accident because they were kind of just showing what the strip looked like but they didn't know that like what they were filming was going to be something people would want to watch 50 years later to be like this is what club bands looked like in the 60s and this is what these rock shows were really like and it's pretty wild yeah, I, I, w- I did start watching it. I got about like a quarter of the way through because I oh, didn't, it's, have, didn't it's, have too much time. It is weird. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> weird. very, well, American International were kind of known for like low, low budget. Right. And very kind of hokey, like a hokiness, but with a weird level of grit and yeah. like a super offensive sense of like humor. Like 
Right. I know it's weird how un PC things were. Back oh then. yeah. Hey, not even that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> you, true. you go back like <laughs> ten years into some kind of like movie catalog, and you're like, you you see some weird shit that they that you're like they live, could say that that's that was ten <laughs> years ago. Like I thought that was like already a thing. Things do change fast. Yeah, like, man. I think that's why things like that are so interesting as like time capsules because it wasn't that long ago that yeah. America was totally different. Back and it's like this even. is what teenage. It's like if you were a teenager looking to rebel, it's like maybe this is what your life was like if you right. were in, lived in this location. Yeah. And it's not like what teenagers are doing now. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, you know, I got to admit, it seemed to kind of a little... Uh, I, I was reading the, I think, LA Weekly, you know, to find out a little bit more about the actual riot. And they even said it in their article that it seemed like a like a like just a generational hissy fit. Pretty much. Which I was just like, yeah, that sounds I mean, about right. It wasn't a real... <laughs> It wasn't like there was protests going on. It was really yeah. just that the kids were all dressing crazy right. and acting crazy. Long hairs. And the music was really aggressive right. and heavy. But they were kids, and too. It was like, like teenagers. It's true. Like, that was the problem. It was just, like, that they're these teenage people. Yeah, they were rocking out too hard. Right. And like, fighting at, in the club. And right. Like and so cops would arrest these people for that it. that weren't even necessarily illegal yet. Like, right. LSD was still legal in most parts of America in 1966. Yeah. And that's, like, a crazy thing, because, like, kids were getting their heads smashed in for, like, tripping on acid and going to rock concerts, and technically there wasn't anything against the law with that. Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, well, I guess because it started off innocently, because, like, from the way the movie portrays it, is that, you know, there's these 17-year-old kids trying to just go out, like, to downtown, basically, to have (laughs) a good time. like... The, yeah. I think they used the name of real clubs. On oh, the yeah, yeah, like, the Pandora's Box. But I think they used another club to fill in as Pandora's Box. Right. But the weird thing is, is Pandora's Box, the real club, is in another movie that's kind of like that called Psycho, which was like, oh. again, kids take acid, and that's a weird one because it's all about Jack Nicholson <laughs> taking acid and trying to play guitar with Strawberry Alarm Clock like Whoa. of Incense and Peppermint's fame. Yeah. And he does. So it's weird to see Jack Nicholson with a clip-on ponytail on acid playing guitar for Strawberry Alarm Clock, like in Austin Powers or something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's gonna, I'm going to take one break. Go for it. Um, idea. I was like, I want to get in the barn, and you need to take a photo of me like in the barn. And this is the same barn that is on the cover of our most like recent single, which it was just right before... I actually came out here and it, like, I'm not a photographer, but I knew there was an album cover in our yard somewhere. How and many I ended you up getting that? it like that day. How many in that thing? <laughs> how, dangerous, because, uh, uh, how dangerous is it to get to the door? Well, <laughs> it was a little less grown in, but like I never even went inside, but I had to, the actual entrance like is over on the side and I just had right. to pull the vines apart to go inside it. But, but it's, it's kind of like... But it's creepy as fuck in there, right? Yeah. I mean, it looks like it's going to fall down. <laughs> so that's why it was a creepy photo, because it was like, who took the photo? Because usually all my Instagram photos are like, I took it. But okay, it was like, yeah. of me in the barn from here. In some old country Let me think about that for a second. Let me just enjoy this. Hey, old man <laughs> sitting on the lonesome road. Go back I think to this is your the only ever recorded. Go back to your Deborah Travis, I don't think she appears on any you other recordings. Oh, yeah. This is her one-off. 
and it's a really good song. It's, it's pretty. I've, I've listened to this record one time uh, through the streaming uh, to prepare for tonight, and uh, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna, it obviously stood out to me because it being the only acoustic song for the most part. There's a couple of other like poppier songs on the soundtrack. Song, yeah. Like, like right. Well, plus all the. Uh, I mean, it's it's a very like beatnik heavy film, you know. True. So it's just like it's all about the bebopping, like whatever the fucking call that style of dancing they do, the jitterbug. No, not even that. What the fuck am I thinking? But yeah, I, get, I was confused by whether it was a mod. Or it's beatniks, mod, I guess, so really. See, after the hippies. Over. It's funny because a lot of people ask now, like, what is mod? And it's like, mod was kind of weird. But mod was like, what the who started? Sort of, yeah. And like, the guys on scooters. were seen as like having yeah. a heavy mod style. But uh, it also kind of lent itself to like psychedelia. Because like, mod kind of incorporated like rhythm and blues, but they also like soul and they like reggae. And they also were playing music that was really aggressive. Like, yeah. The next band, Chocolate Watch Band, were considered as being a mod band on the West Coast. Yeah. But because they're on West Coast America, they incorporated American psychedelia and aggression. And that's kind of was why the Chocolate Watch Band stood out. Hmm. And like and having that weird band name. Yeah. Weird factoid, a lot of sixties bands with odd names are usually from awesome. the watch band because as much as the watch band aren't super well known they were kind of like the coolest band in california and they had a strong live following because yeah. they were just awesome and you can hear them they're like as good as the rolling stones or something but like they picked a super weird band name and then you had like the strawberry alarm clock who said they got it the idea from the watch band and the jefferson airplane and yeah. like the red crayola and like it was that became like like Buffalo Springfield, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Like it became like a trend to have like a wacky band name. Yeah. It didn't make sense, and it kind of originated with the Chocolate Watch Band, which is odd. But yeah. California was where like the trends were happening, and the Watch Band kind of avoided chart success. But they were a big band in California, and that's why they're still around. I'm always a big champion for the watch band. Not a lot of people know them, but I think they're like our American stones. Yeah. I'm not familiar, honestly, so I have to look into it. It's hot. And I was like, chocolate watch band? That's a dumb band name. It, it is. It is. But, <laughs> but I mean, it's like, it worked for them. Well, it seemed <laughs> like, the, yeah, like you were saying, there was a whole generation of that because uh, I was doing the research for this record on Discogs, and they offer you suggestions for whatever you look up. And there were these other weird 60s band names that I was like, I don't know who these bands are. I was like, maybe I should look into it. They all have like a very strange Yeah. And it's a lot of the. Like the tombstones, the others, the these. The one I saw was, was it the, I'm going to get this wrong. Was it the, uh, I got to look it up. I got to look it up because I, it was so funny. I have a, the longest one that I'm into is the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band, which is a real 60s band. And they actually had a song in Isle of Dogs, which is like a Wes Anderson movie from not too long ago. Oh, yeah. But that's how I got into them. I always thought that song was by the Kinks, but I was like, it's the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band? Like, what kind of, that's a pretty big mouthful. <laughs> yeah. 
How funny that uh, you would confuse it with the Kinks too. Uh, that, that seems fitting. Right? <laughs> well, it sounded because it kind of had that sound and that style. Well, because the as the, the director of that movie, what's the Wes Anderson? Yeah, he puts Kink stuff in like everything. Yeah. That's why gonna, I think I just assumed it. Was I think the entire Rushmore soundtrack was originally supposed to be all Kink that songs. That is true. Yeah, because uh, he dresses like them. Like he dresses like one of the Kinks, and yeah. he's an a- academic but also a punk. <laughs> right. So I'm actually trying to determine like the uh, the value of your record, and because um, I didn't get to do too much uh, research when I was home this uh, past week, because unfortunately shit's been going on. Um, but yeah, I would say that your record here, on average, probably sells for around like seventeen to twenty eight dollars right now. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and the, so the quality of yours, I would say, that's probably uh, on the like the nineteen dollar range, maybe, because it's like really bad. good shape. It looks really, really, really like clean and glossy. I've also played it like, and honestly, like over a hundred times myself. Yeah, like it's been my favorite record since I got it, and it's always like nobody's ever heard of this fucking weird movie. No, this, you're right. Any of these weird <laughs> bands, people usually know, like you know, loves that dirty water. So mm-hmm. People know the standouts, but. Not anything else. Right. Cool, I'm going to sell it and buy another one. <laughs> yeah. There's no reissues, that's it, man. There's no, only no. A... They have a CD, and I've almost bought the CD version just to save on keeping, like, the vinyl in quality, but... Yeah. I don't know. So what's your what's your uh, position on the, the digital download? Well, the streaming? So, I never really downloaded music that much. Like, uh, even when it was, like, new, like, Napster and this and that. Like, oh, I yeah. had friends who did, and they that's how, like, I would get, like, CDs back then. It's like, hey, can you make me this CD? Right. And you'd get, like, all different sources and all different quality tracks. But um, I've just always been a very, like, hard copy-oriented person, and I've always been into collecting, like, physical music. Yeah. And um, it's only in, like, recent years where I, I buy so much stuff that I'm like, well, I should really start listening to more stuff online. So I do, like, stream a lot. And just to experiment. I like Bandcamp a lot just yeah. as, like, because I like how it looks. It's pleasing to the eye. Yeah. And, like, you get kind of, like, the, uh, as far as, like, a website goes, I think it's like having, like, digital liner notes and uh, hmm. just, like, the, the interface is cool. But I find that it's like if, if I stream an album like five or six times, I, I usually end up buying it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Obviously, you like it enough, right? Yeah. So, Which, but it's kind of like that's kind of more what I use now to because I'm like, well, you can't buy everything, and I kind of like going into a lot of things blind. I buy a lot of stuff without ever listening to the band. Like, yeah. Even for a second, like uh, I don't know. I like to have like the whole first experience that first time. But uh, you kind of got to, like, if you're going to be selective, it's good to actually know what you're getting yourselves into a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I don't so, buy a lot of stuff that I've been like, wow, this sucks. <laughs> well, then you have, like, this knack for just kind of, like, nailing things just by the cover. Well, I mean, kind of. I mean, they say, like, you can't judge a book by its cover, but sometimes, like, an album, you you kind of can <laughs> a lot of the times. Yeah. Like, it's a good indicator, but again, like, I think it's also, like, a reason a band like mine, like, I don't think our album covers say a lot about the contents. Like, right. 
or at least uh, it can they be do misconstrued. In a very different way. Yeah, like it could just be interpretive, you know. Some bands do have an image that's kind of like at odds with their style, but can kind of match it too. I right. always love like Black Flag's album artwork because they always have Ray Pettibone album covers, and he has this really odd, like almost American Splendor comic style. Hmm. And you almost wouldn't really know that it was going to be like. Well, at least for a, like a hardcore punk band with that sound to have a very specific image, like I feel like more of their albums look like jazz album covers than punk, if not for like the kind of weird subtext of the images. Yeah. But they're all bright colors with like comic book characters on it, kind of. Mm-hmm. And it's like I don't know. I think you can't take that away from them, though. Like if to, for them to not have that image would be like kind of strange. A slight change like that, image-wise even, can just kind of ruin a whole, like, interpretation for, for, for a generation of people, you no, know? No, it's true. But whatever. Hey, as long <laughs> as they got their credit, as long as, like, the songs are out, people are appreciating it, that's all you can really ask for, you know? it's I mean, like there are some, like, famously terrible album covers, but in some cases that's why people bought it because it looked so weird or like yeah. something like what that is on a like a 12 inch sleeve <laughs> right yeah man it's crazy uh i like it i like because I, I appreciate you suggesting this record to me because i would have never known it had you not well i'm, you know? I'm like waiting to find like somebody who's heard of it <laughs> like i haven't like met a music fan yet who's like oh you know Right on says a strip chocolate right. band. Maybe some of the bands on on the on this record, but then like the movie too. Like I you know hadn't heard about the movie, didn't know about the soundtrack, obviously. So there's not a lot of like super aggressive music fans like me who delve so deep into '60s stuff. Is I mean at least from people like I've met, but I tend to look at it from a different viewpoint. I think yeah, because like to me a lot of it's really heavy, and that was kind of why I liked it. I think so. I think it's actually the type of like the style of the recording. Like, what the kind of technology they had to record back then. Like, that's kind of what why all of it sounds so so kind of, like, heavy and, and almost distorted naturally. Well, because if you were turning the amp up really yeah. loud and nobody had recorded that yet, right. it was going to sound, like, blaring. And that might make it heavier. Right. Like, uh, one of my favorite albums, Blue Cheer, Bin Sabus Eruptum, they, they said that their debut was the first metal album. Because it was from 1968. And yeah. They were a power trio that were playing Marshall Stacks hmm. on full volume, and they refused to turn them down. So their album sounded like shit. Like, it was the muddiest thing anybody had ever heard, and it sounded awful. But yeah. because it, they had a record that didn't sound like anything, they had, a, like, a top 20 hit and album. Yeah. Because, and it was the heaviest thing anybody had ever heard. But it it's sounds like pretty heavy. It was this blaring, loud mono explosion, and it was like, you're not supposed to record an amplifier this loud. Right. And it was like, well, we're going to do it anyway, because we're not going to turn down, because, I mean, they actually had the, before the Who did, they had the uh, Guinness World Record as the world's loudest band, Blue wow. Cheer. Yeah. They're like another band, like, that's the funny thing about metal, is like, I thought I knew everything about metal, and then I found out that a 60s band is credited with being the first metal band, and I was like, what, where have I been? <laughs> I got the name, I got that hey, album tattooed the fir- two days after I bought it, because I was like, everything I knew about metal is wrong. These yeah. guys in the 60s were whipping their hair around, and playing Marshall <laughs> Stacks, and like, doing double bass, and like, yeah. it was kind of crazy. <laughs> wow. 
I wish I could have seen them. It sounds like so much fun. Well, you can still listen to them. Oh, yeah. I have one of the records at home, actually. It's not the greatest copy, unfortunately. I have their second album on vinyl, but uh, I was mostly like a CD for them because the quality is, uh, it does make a difference. Actually, like as to what you said earlier, like if you were to listen to the mono version of the first Blue Cheer album and the stereo version, it's like a completely different album. It's almost like the recording... I had a stereo copy that I gave to a friend because I was like, it was his birthday and, it, and I needed something. I was like, yeah, it means a lot to me. And then I bought, the mono edition came back out. And then I had to buy the stereo one again, too, because I didn't realize how different it was going to sound. Oh. And it was kind of, like, interesting to have two completely different versions of the same album where the sound quality is what makes, like, the whole experience different. Yeah. Like the mono versus stereo. I actually have a lot of albums like that. Because oh, yeah. I like an album enough, I have multiple versions of it. Yeah. Well, I'm going like, to have to... You can always change it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to go home and check which copy I have. I can't remember if it's a mono or a stereo. Um, but I'm interested in, like, you know... Is it that it. album, Vince Davis Eruptum? It's... Uh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So you've at least... Did you listen to it before? Uh, yes, but not on vinyl. That's cool. So, I mean, I was familiar with the record. I knew it was highly desirable. Oh, actually, I was looking for it for you. Oh, yeah. That's I right. I told you... Yeah, I remember yeah. I was like, I have a bunch of, I was like, I don't even know what albums to pick. I could pick five <laughs> off my tattoos. Yeah, the, like the five the that you like sent to me were, was <laughs> this like, oh, these are like kind of the hardest records to find. <laughs> well, I guess that is like a thing with me, though, is I did always like bands that were obscure. And I especially, as kind of like a metalhead elitist, I, I had a desire to always hear who did this first. Right. And it was like, you want to hear who played the first blast beat. It's like, right. who was the first band to use screaming death vocals? And if you're into metal and you go further back, like, that was the weird thing is it's like, you go before Sabbath and you find Blue Cheer. And it's re- it was really weird to me because I was <laughs> like, they have all the ingredients. And because they had a hit record, they act like, it's weird because even Cream and Zeppelin claim them as an influence because they were the first band to be like everything on 10. Right. No compromise. Hit everything as hard as you can. And he screamed all of the vocals because it's like you couldn't even sing them loud enough into a mic for them to be heard. So I think it really is like the first example of a band that was like almost like a gang. Oh, they yeah. actually like, I think they blew the PA system on The Tonight Show when they were on it or something. And... <laughs> Steve Allen introduced them on his show as like, ladies and gentlemen, the blue cheer, run for your life. And like, because he hated rock music. Oh, Jesus. Wow. I don't know why he would even have them on. Hey man, you gotta sell the tickets. They put on whatever, whatever's selling. Did you oh. want to play like five seconds of, one, of this one oh. or something like that? Yeah, man, sure. It is weird. Like, uh, they are a very different kind of record and it does come with a disclaimer. Like, how to treat it. Yeah. The fact that it won't work on certain types of players. You're not supposed to have auto stop. And, um, it's funny because it even shows a picture of my needle and it's like a needle like this is the, not the best (laughs) one to use, but my other one had needle like this too. And it still has like kind of a unique experience. Right. It's not vinyl. No. Like, and it sounds so different than the digital master. Yeah. Yeah, because I listened to this uh, through Bandcamp. This one is, like, thicker and more, like, almost, like, boxy. Sure. Like, uh, it's sure almost does. hard to separate any of the instruments. It's, it's, like, has that mono attacking feel. Well, I'll tell you what. So 
because I specifically listened to your download only of this record and comparing it to what I remember of listening to the digital and listening to this now, granted, this isn't maybe the best system, but still considered, considering we listened to that record from the 60s, yeah. <laughs> comparatively, I'm like, okay, they actually kind of sound like they're the same. Yeah, but you're well, recording on the digital. This was recorded in this house, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it sounds great. Like, the digital... I actually recorded this vocal in this room. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the bass on this track. And well, the so, harmonica. <laughs> so who mixed it and mastered it for you? Um, was that different? This was done by... Uh, oh, my God. I can't think of his... I'm like... I kn- it's Kyle. I'm sorry, I blanked. It's from, from Kyle which? from uh, Cannibal Ramblers. So it was actually, uh, I was a big fan of Cannibal Ramblers, and my drummer at the time, Greg, his band, The Dead had recorded with them, and I'd only seen them, and I didn't really know them, but he introduced me to Kyle, and we kind of hit it off, and he really understood how to record my band, and I thought it was amazing, because we did these two, like, my previous drummer ran Turbulent Studios, real professional recording studio, that's why we were able to pump out so many albums in a short space of time. But this was done in almost the exact opposite fashion. We recorded the band tracks live in the basement here. And I did all the other stuff in this bedroom. And when I heard the digital, like, uh, when I heard it on Bandcamp, I was like, wow, it sounds like a studio. And it kind of taught me, like, that was actually how, like, I said to my brother, I was like, I need to put a name for the studio on the thing. What am I even going to call it? And he's like, well, my... My friends used to say this place was like the Waco Norton compound. Because that's the, that's the thing about the lathe cut um, records. Now, you know, plexiglass or not, you do you get a lathe cut uh, record, uh, even on vinyl. It's like it has a shelf life. No, like, it's true. You, you legitimately listen to it a few times, and it's just like, okay, I can't listen to it anymore. I have a couple of five-inch ones that are like, they're tiny. Yeah. And they don't even play on almost any system. Weird. And it's almost like, that's kind of the point. It's like, you can't even listen to it. You pretty much just hold it. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Five inches. A yeah. five-inch record. Weird, man. That was actually where I got the idea, though. I was like, I'll do a seven-inch like that. <laughs> well, so to go back to, uh, you were speaking about recording this and the, the engineer, the mixing and max mastering was done by... Oh, Kyle from uh, Cannibal Ramblers. They're it actually sounds great. playing a show... Because he moved. It was like his last recording project before he moved, but oh. he's come back and done a couple of shows with them, and I'm pretty sure he's doing one yeah. at dusk on the 24th. I just saw the ad, yeah. Which I definitely want to go to. Cool. But he's a really nice guy. He was definitely like a kindred spirit, and I, I think he was the first person who like heard us and really like, whoa, I understand. Like right. I know exactly what you guys are trying to do. Yeah. And it was kind of like, all right, finally. <laughs> That's great, man. I definitely want to do, like, vinyl, though. That's kind of, like, my next... It's part of why I've been doing two songs singles, is, like, try to get somebody that'll put up money to pay for a 7-inch. Right. Or something like that. I mean, that's kind of the weird part about <laughs> that that type of uh, media, is that it's, like, it's, it, it's, so, um, it's so fragile. You know, any kind of needle that's going to read that is, like, is going to... They're going to be weird. You know, yeah. different weights, different, like, thicknesses, whatever it is. It's part of why I put, like, right on it, it says where you can listen to it online. Right. it was kind of like, the record is definitely a big thing for show, kind of. Yeah. It's and to have a record that's different than anybody else's. Looks totally cool, man. Yeah, I still like it. <laughs> hey, well, uh, 
Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming over. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I've been fucking here in Norton, Mass. So weird. <laughs> it's cool, cool spot you're you're in though, man. I really I really like it, and I really appreciate What's you like? having me. We're gonna try to do some golf now, the disc golf. <laughs> Let's try it. Wait for the son of Dracula.